I adore our conversations on this show. I really do. I've had you on for some of my most interesting conversations, but I really need to get you on to talk about a blockbuster because along with our interesting conversations, I've also had you on to talk about some of the smallest movies, including today's topic of conversation. And I don't think that's fair. I need like some people who have seen the movie to listen to what we're talking about and, you know, get a get a dose of Featherstone. So don't be surprised if the next time I ask you to come on, it's like a franchise or a big prestige picture or something like that. Cause I just, I really want to up your profile a little bit. I, you know, I'm in. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 303 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of the matinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. As we creep back towards normality, I keep shaking loose more and more things that I didn't realize I missed. There are big things, of course, that have started to return, but then there are the little changes to my rhythm that have also been a little bit slower to return. For instance, there's the message midday about a friend going to a movie and wanting to know if you want to join. I miss that, that impromptu plan, that last minute hang, the reminder of why you pay more money to live around the stuff. Well, I got a dose of that this week. It was a great time, a great film, and great company, and I decided to bring it all back for this show. She is a last about town whose writing can be found at Wiley Wrights and Toronto Film Files. Jolie Featherstone is here. How are you, Jolie Featherstone? I am so good now that we've started our conversation. I'm so excited for this. Uh, Thank you for having me. Does does it take much? Um, On episode 303, we are going to be discussing The Five Devils. Uh, Be warned, it will be a spoiler-laden conversation. I don't really feel like this is the kind of film that one can spoil. The core detail of what it's about is in the promotional marketing, and you find it out very quick. But if you're the kind of person who wants to go in completely blind... There is a detail about it that we need to talk about. Otherwise, the conversation is going to go nowhere. So be forewarned. We will be flipping the record over to play the other side. It's the full show today. First, though, we, of course, need to learn more about Jolie. This is Know Your Enemy. Officially, Jolie is a five-time guest. Jolie made her debut on episode 182, where we talked about a ghost story. We learned the first film she ever saw in a theater was Casper. The last film she'd seen at the time was Point Break. The worst film she's ever seen is Hot Tub Time Machine. The unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia. And the film she wished she made was Amasur Fat Girl. Jolie returned on episode 195. We talked about Thoroughbreds. We learned the, the film everybody else hates that she digs is Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. The film everybody else likes that she does not is Cinema Paradiso. The last movie to make her cry was Call Me By Your Name. In the movie of her life, she would be played by a combination of Jennifer Lawrence, Saoirse Ronan, and Kate McKinnon. And the movie she was watching next was A Fantastic Woman. Then Miss Jolie returned to talk about nonfiction on episode 223. We learned the film that made her love of movies turn a corner was Gladiator. Her first date movie was Blood Diamond. Her sick day movie is anything with Marilyn Monroe in it. The last movie to leave her speechless was Una, and her epitaph would be from Some Like It Hot, Nobody's Perfect. Then, on episode 261, deep in the heart of the pandemic, we talked about Together Together. We learned the film she really digs but never wants to watch again is, once again, 
Una, the film that freaked her out was Revolutionary Road, the film that always makes her laugh. Once again, some like it hot. Her favorite film soundtrack is Lord of the Rings scores by Hans Zimmer. And the film that she loves that seemingly nobody else has heard of is something called Nin Gen. So it's time for round five, Miss Featherstone. When you go to the theater, where do you like to sit? The theater, my happy place. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I do gravitate towards a certain spot. If it is a mostly empty theater, I want to be in the last row, like the farthest back you can get okay. in the center. If it is busy theater, I need an aisle seat. I need an aisle seat now. <laughs> See, mentally, I'm thinking to myself about how a week ago we went and saw the movie that we're going to talk about. And you told me, oh, just like go where we're going to go. And I took you to neither. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, I took you to neither of those places. But now I'm remembering it was a signed seating and you bought them. I'm, I'm blameless on this. I love it. Yes. You, you are completely innocent. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Let's dig into this. Why, when you're on your own, do you want to be at the very back? I I don't know. It's just quiet. It's quiet. And I like to feel close to like the projector. Hmm. I I always look like before the movie, it doesn't matter how many times I've been to a theater, which is, you know, several, several, many times at this yeah, point. Yeah, in my yeah, life. yeah. I always, I don't know. I just feel happy looking up and seeing that light emanating from hmm. behind. So I, I like, I like that. It's quiet. Is there like a face. security blanket thing of having the wall behind you? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it, I certainly don't mind that there's no one behind me to like right. accidentally kick my seat or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind that. Um, that's certainly a little perk. Um, I wouldn't say it's the driving factor though. The okay. aisle seat is more the is more the security blanket. The aisle seat's much more of the. Because no matter how full, I mean that that's the thing. Like that one, I understand because as the place fills up, mm-hmm. you have some you have some oxygen, mm-hmm. like literally and figuratively. Exactly. exactly. Okay. okay. I got. I have. I have the. I have a route. I have a, a fire path. If gotcha. I need one. <laughs> so no disrespect to the five year engagement, but if you had to go on a date with any movie character of your choosing, who would you pick? Oh, that's such a good question. Um. I'm going to say um, George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, he's tall. Like that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great starter right there. What I love about George Bailey is that he kind of starts off, like, like many young people do, really wanting to kind of shed the cloak of this town and leave and travel and go experience the world. And then he, he doesn't end up doing that, but he... And he struggles with that, mm-hmm. but ultimately he finds the the beauty of his own life. And I just, I think there's something so human about that. I obviously, I, I love Jimmy Stewart. I think he's so charming. I think George Bailey's so charming. He's got really good values. He's all about community care. He's not super, super capitalist, which I love. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have my reasons for George Bailey. <laughs> That's, I mean, those are good reasons. I think what I like about the George Bailey character, um, and this is something I've been gravitating to more and more as I get older, is he's always engaged with the people around him. Like he he's he's he wants to have conversations. He wants to talk to them. He wants to be pleasant. Um, you know, like you you can see a little bit a little bit of that trickle over in in a more simplistic way into Elwood P. Dowd and in, in Harvey, but. 
I, I enjoy people who are interested in other people, yes. you know, and that's the thing is George being this person in a small town, you know, he likes talking, not just to his friends, mm-hmm. but he likes talking to the people who he deals with, whether they're his his clients or his family mm-hmm. or, or people he's just met. Like I think about him talking to um, Harry's wife when she first steps off the train, mm-hmm. you know, like that, I think that's important in a person who you're going to go on a date with is, is how they interact with the world around them. Totally. That's, that's part of why I love him. I just think he's such a human character. He kind of represents to me in a way like the, the, the heartache of, being human but also the beauty of being human um he's you know he's flawed and i think ultimately when at the crux of the film when we first see him he's super agitated he's going through something that's not necessarily intrinsic to who he is at his core he never really wavers from his values of community care um and being present and being mindful of other people um yeah so yeah i'll go with george and he's tall I mean, I'm tall, so that's what I'm saying. It hurts. It hurts. You know, it's, it's it's right there. Julie Featherstone, what is the dirtiest film you have ever seen? So that's another tough question because, like, how do you define dirtiest per se? This is usually the question I get back to this, and I could probably cut a supercut of everybody <laughs> asking, "What? How do you define dirty?" Oh my god, you and should do that. I really. I, <laughs> Because what I need right now are more hobbies. Um, Fair. But it, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of all of this, really. But that's the whole point of that particular question is to you, what is, you know, what what constitutes this? When I pose this question, I don't think it's just sex or just foul language. I think that mm-hmm. there is something that sends a film, you know, particularly far down the line. And it's usually personal it's usually something to do with you know my guests and my friends and my the the people who come and join me um on this show it's usually that's the thing is getting Mm -hmm. to know them in this way you know Mm -hmm. of like what what kind of was the you know the bridge too far in that respect it's sort of a prism to to determine uh someone how they define it i guess or how they react to that question Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go with the film that made me feel the most like skin crawling, dirty. I need to go home and take a shower. I love it. Yeah. I can't believe I lived through that. Um, And it's actually an Icelandic film called let me fall. Okay. Um, Tell me more. It it played at TIFF and actually a mutual friend of ours um, really enjoyed it. And he was like, Oh, I thought that was one of the best made films I saw during the festival. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like I just lived through something. <laughs> like I just lived through a battle watching that movie. I think it's one of the first, maybe the first movie where I actually considered leaving the theater, not out of disrespect, like to the filmmaker that I thought it wasn't a good film. It, it's, it deals with a lot of really, um, like a lot of intense themes and a lot of disturbing subject matter. They're, like it's worthy of a bit of a content warning, I think going into it, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't <laughs> super clearly relayed. Um, so the film is a, is an Icelandic film, follows uh, two young um, young girls uh, and you kind of follow their lives as, as they grow into young women, but um, they end up falling into a drug, like drug, addic- uh, drug dependency unfortunately like the dependency on those drugs leads one of them down unfortunately a really 
dark path or uh, they're sort of exploited by people around them because of this illness that they have. So um, it <laughs> goes into some really dark stuff. Um, there is not a happy ending <laughs> uh, for anyone that is like, oh, but you know what? Is it redeeming? Oh, great. Not really. Gotcha. <laughs> it's, and actually deals a lot with guilt and shame, not just on the the character who is kind of most deeper in the throes of this dependency, but also their friend who at times kind of played a problematic part in some of the experiences that they go through. Um, so it really, it's, it, it's a tough film. And my, I took a friend, invited a friend with me to TIFF to see it. And oh, no. uh, we went in. You we, don't get to pick the movie ever again. I, yeah. My, <laughs> my friend is a screenwriter. He's big, big lover of cinema. So it's, um, he was just, he was down to go into a film and see it without having any prior knowledge. And I'm always down to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And we both left that theater. We stood outside the Scotiabank theater for an hour, just debriefing. We were like, we need this. We need to like breathe fresh air and talk about this. Um, and my friend's like, yeah, that was like, He's like, my soul just feels like it got extinguished. I need to go and watch a Pixar movie. And I'm like, yeah, I need to go home and have a shower. Like, I feel, I feel so like, I don't know. See, the the side effect of asking this question is on the one hand, I get curious, but on the other hand, I really am not. The one thing I think when I'm kind of skimming through what I can find about this movie while you're talking. Mm -hmm. So last night I watched the documentary on disney plus about brooke shields and Mm. the entirety of the first film is really about her early career before she went to princeton and what you keep coming back to over and over and over and over and over is the way uh the 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 way she was managed and the way she was spoken to as a child Mm. and i think that's the thing is when you're coming down to discomfort or dirty or icky or however you want to interpret it mm-hmm. it it really treads into you know very very murky waters when you're talking about young talent or young characters i think that's why people get kind of so hung up on shows like euphoria um mm-hmm. and that's what i'm seeing with um with the with the icelandic film that you just mentioned um is it's about two teenagers and the, while the actors I'm sure, at least I hope are of age. Actually, one of them was a teenager. Oh was no. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's, that's the thing is, yeah, I don't you know, know if she was like above their like legal age in Iceland. Still, um, you know, sure whatever they're, you know, was. if they're, if they're, I mean, let, let, let's, let's get real. Even when you're watching 18 year olds do what 18 year olds do. And, and, that's, and that's not to say that, you know, 18 year olds don't do this. It's just mm-hmm. like, I don't, want to partake in that thanks yeah. so that's the thing is i i think you know when you when you ask yourself like what is the dirtiest or what is the most uncomfortable that kind of thing it's like it it goes into a, a lane of its own right. when it's a young story it's funny my friend and i had this conversation the one that, that i saw the film with and he said that that's what bothered him the most yeah. was when they were young and you see them at such a young age getting into this and i said to him what bothered me the most or like what struck me the most uh 
from the film was when they're adults and just there's certain scenes that happen i i won't go like too into specifics because it it is like pretty graphic um but there's some stuff that happens to one of the one of the women as an adult that to me was just so vile and so awful and we know that it does happen um but i couldn't i felt that there was a border being walked between this is true true to life and they're you know explaining the circumstances of this person's life but at the same time i'm like i almost feel we're getting to the the borderline where it's almost exploitative right Um, right and that's where i was like this that hit me really hard that scene i could not shake that scene for a long time Mm. um and i believe if i remember correctly um the film is based on the 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 diary or or interviews with a a real individual with that in mind there's certainly i think a concern of was this person's trauma exploited or or are they being given finally a voice and a platform but how the film ends i don't know that yeah it it made me feel really weird when i left i i literally had a thought to myself like i need to go have a shower like i just I need to like no. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have pro- quite properly interpreted the question, and I'm uh, I, I'm good. Thank you for <laughs> like, taking that bullet for the rest of us. <laughs> I I owe you a beer. Um, okay, so another question that's deliberately vague uh, and can be interpreted in all kinds of ways. Uh, Jolie, what is your favorite black and white film? I have to give love to Some Like It Hot. Oh yeah, um, it's incredible it's i personally think it's ahead of its time i think it really is an excellent example of the buddy comedy it doesn't necessarily hint like the film doesn't necessarily hinge on being black and white like i don't think being shot in black and white is contingent uh in terms of like the question like if i were to say oh you know what's a film that i think because or largely because it's shot in black and white change like the creative direction or the or my response to the, mm-hmm. to the visuals mm-hmm. that might be a different answer but just overall um some like it hot is one of my all-time favorite movies and it happens to be black and white <laughs> i i mean i think what i love about that film is it is something i, I mean it's something that still plays you know, if you sat down somebody who said they don't like old movies or they don't like black and white movies, um, you know, they don't like classic movies. And you said, do me a solid, sit with me and watch this for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you want to peace out after that, you can go. I'd bet even money that they would love it and they would stay and they would enjoy and they would laugh because it's so funny. Mm-hmm. It, it's like it's one of the sharpest scripts ever Marilyn is at like her Marilyn best Curtis and lemon doing their thing. It's, you know, it's timely again. Cause it's two guys in drag. I, I don't ask for an interpretation of the question. I mean, my guess and like you give it and that's wonderful, but it's that that's the thing is that when I just ask about a black and white movie, it can be, it could just be old. It can just mm-hmm. be a movie that happens to be in black and white that you love. It can be one that uses Mm-hmm. the the monochrome to its advantage mm-hmm. um yeah but but or just saying this is a movie i adore and it happens to be in black and white and some like it hot is an absolutely incredible film so i don't blame you for choosing it yeah, yeah right. i love there's a lot of black and white films i love so it's tough to name just one but yeah of course that one is top top of my list like black and white color what have you 
it's in general it's it's yeah what is a film that nobody would expect you to like but you do people don't always assume or think that i would like action movies hmm. and i love action movies okay. when done well right i right. adore them but and in my definition of that there are many super schlocky like absolutely nonsensical plot action movies oh, yeah. that by any like by objective standards are like you know purely just to make money or purely just to make things go boom and and get preteen boys to buy tickets sure. um but if you use the opportunity to film in the genre well i just love it doesn't matter if it's schlocky or if it's like that yeah i just i i think people don't always assume that in terms of like specific films ambulance dear god um there's that on paper i should absolutely dislike that movie in reality um, you should actually you should absolutely dislike that movie by the, by the people who made that film even just the fact that the LA in the middle of it is a, I'm like, oh God, I'm like some marketing person got a raise out of that and I am not here for it. <laughs> I know. It, I think it actually confused a lot of people. Like, is it I'm supposed to be that it LA ambulance, ambulance? Like what is happening? Ambulance here? LA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's one that, again, the filmmakers behind it, the film is, was already at a disadvantage right. based on that. And yet I love how they handled the cinematography. <laughs> I love how they handled the editing. It felt exhilarating. It felt fun. It allowed us to see like such a kinetic film um, in a, kind of a very beautiful, vis like visually very beautiful way. Um, even though again, like plot all over the place, extremely thin, but in terms of like how they told the story visually and raised the adrenaline through the editing, I just loved it. This is yeah. the opposite of Let Me Fall. You were actually like talking me into ambulance, which I'm I'm really I really hate that you're doing because I know how dumb it's gonna be. And I know that I might even hate myself, but the thing is <laughs> you're making a convincing argument. You can and that really me. annoys me. If you dislike it, put the blame on me. <laughs> oh Lord! Well, yeah, you're right. I, I don't think I, you know, I you're not you're not what I'd call a snob. So I don't think that you're above, uh, you know, mainstream entertainment of any sort. We've talked about like everything over the course of our friendship. Uh, but that kind of Michael Bay things go boom, right. things go exactly. chase chase. His you know, name alone, the film was already at a disadvantage. That surprises me somewhat. I must admit. And if I and I went in and I kind of put that person out of my head huh. and just glued my eyes to the screen all right and enjoyed it <laughs> ambulance <laughs> jolie featherstone approves all right we will learn more about jolie when she shows up to talk about something that y'all have seen um but right now we're going to talk about something that uh, many of you haven't necessarily seen but um jolie and i uh you know not to spoil the plot or anything like that but i think we both really hope you do um and this is going to be exciting because we saw it a week ago, but we didn't actually talk about it because we knew we were doing this, so we just saved the conversation. And we're going to talk about the five devils right after this. Come on back. It's the new slide.
The Five Devils, Les Cinq Diables, is directed by Leah Missius. It's written by Missius and Paul Guillaume. It stars Adele Exerchopoulos, Sally Drummond, Swala Amadi, uh, Mustafa Mbage, and Daphne Patakia. The Five Devils is the story of Vicky, a young black French girl with an incredible sense of smell. Not only can Vicky smell seemingly anything at any time, but she can recreate the aroma of the people she holds dear. Think of them like cocktails for your nose. One afternoon, her parents, Joanne and Jimmy, get a call. Jimmy's sister, Julia, has been released from prison and will be coming to stay with them for a while. This causes an immediate tension in the marriage, though we aren't sure why. To get the answer, Vicky recreates her aunt's smell and in doing so, gets to the root cause. And it's much more complicated than she or we would have guessed. The Five Devils opens with a scene of a raging blaze and five girls looking on. As the fire burns out of control, the girl in the middle, our heroine, turns and seemingly looks right at us. Eventually, as the film plays out, we learn that she wasn't looking at us, but at someone else. In that moment, we learn who and why, but it doesn't change that disquieting feeling we had when we thought the film was looking at us. It's a strange sensation. Right, You see someone you think is looking at you, and you think they're someone you should recognize because they seem to recognize you, and maybe they're even smiling. You find yourself confused, maybe embarrassed. Part of you liked the recognition, but part of you was unsure. So pop quiz hotshot, were there moments where you thought this film was looking at you? Honestly, I I didn't feel so. I didn't feel that in that way or at least as as I'm interpreting it I don't think I had that that feeling or that sensation I did feel a bit like a voyeur at times hmm. <laughs> I did feel like a bit of a, a you felt like the head. person watching the person who thought the person was looking at them yeah 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 it all comes out in that way so to, to cut right to the big development of this story Vicky is able through this creating of a specific aroma uh, using this one mysterious ingredient, is able to go back in time and observe what happened to her mother and her aunt as uh, teenagers. And in that moment, I kind of felt like the film was looking at me because I kind of feel like there's a version of me that everybody knows uh, and everybody has, you know, become, you know, my friends have become accustomed to, and anybody who listens to the show has become accustomed to. But when I was younger, I wasn't necessarily this guy. I wasn't necessarily worse, you know. Like I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't any kind of a bad seed or any kind of a punk. But it was something very, very different. And I, th- I think that was the thing where I, I thought I felt the film was looking at me. Was if somebody mm. were to go and look at that version of me, they wouldn't necessarily be able to square it. Mm. Um, that was the moment I felt I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to go back and we're going to look at, you know, the the versions of ourselves that made the mistakes, made the impulsive decisions. I was like, okay, I feel like if somebody were like watching me in that moment, I, I would, uh, I would, you know, not be so, uh, not be so cool with it. What did you think of the five devils? I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, one of the, I would say, recent films that really excited me in terms of visual storytelling. I um, I wrote about this very briefly on Twitter, but there's two films of, of late that 
truly like deeply excite me about how they used editing and, and, and cinematography to visually tell a story. And one was after sun by Charlotte Wells. Mm. And the other is uh, the five devils film that we're talking about now. Interesting uh, also to note that it, the director and the cinematographer are real life. Uh, and I'm not sure if they're spouses or partners or what have you, but they're a real life couple. Um, so it was interesting to, I guess, see them work together. Um, but yeah, the visual storytelling for me was just, it was, yeah, it was so beautiful, but I, I, I almost like hesitate to say that because I don't mean it in like a very diminutive way or anything, but mm. it truly like excited me to see this on the big screen. I really did not know what we were getting into. That image that I mentioned in the preamble of, um, Adele looking back at mm -hmm. us with the flames behind her. Like they use that for the poster for this image. That's kind of the iconic shot in this film. Mm -hmm. So I knew that. And that was about all I knew. I had no idea what else we were getting into and why. So watching it all unfold in front of me. And I think even if somebody told me about what I was getting into, watching it unfold the way it does and being in this place with these people, this very, very specific place and time mm -hmm. with these people was just an absolutely wonderful mm -hmm. uh, experience. This movie is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I could I could watch this on mute, and I probably will. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when time comes, that I can access it on demand. It's one of those ones that I'll have probably have on while I'm doing work, just as visual stimuli mm -hmm. and. It's interesting because it's about a lot of different things at once. It's, you know, it has to say things about race. It has things to say about um, the queer community. It has things to say about uh, relationships and parenthood uh, mm -hmm. and, and all kinds of things packed into a very, very economical story. Like, you know, what is this movie like? 95 minutes? It's yeah, short. I like, it is not long. Vicky is the beating heart of this story. This mm -hmm. uh, young French actor, um, Sally uh, Dramay. I I've never seen or heard of her before. She she really jumped out from mm -hmm. me as as an incredible talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I felt the same way. In my in my opinion, she felt in complete control of that performance. Um, and people, I think, tend to like you hear, oh, it's you know, told through their perspective of a child or um you know there's like a a, a very prin like principal child character but this child like they treat her story and her point of view um with a lot of respect like it's not really kind of seen as so oh, cutesy or diminutive view of things yeah, she's not, not precocious no she is she feels like a real kid Mm -hmm. But at the same time, kids are so much more sophisticated and so much more mature and have such rich inner lives more than I think most of us give them credit for. And the film addressed that, you know, she's still a kid. Um, you know, she doesn't always listen to her parents. <laughs> you know, she she is obsessed with her hobbies. Um, she gets bullied at school and in the community. She is a real, feels like a real kid. Um, and yet the film reminds us like kids have very rich inner lives kids have very acute understandings of the world around them or at least perceptions of the world around them especially when it comes to their parents and family um 
so I, I think the film did a good job of of bringing that to life. You know, you feel that she is interpreting so much and she has such a sharp eye on things, but she doesn't feel um, like a, a robot. You know, she feels like a real kid. I think one of the things that really exemplifies that is the way she keeps going back into the past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the mm-hmm. first time that she goes back into the past, it's an accident. She takes this one ingredient out of her aunt's bag. She smells it because that's what she does. She smells things. Um, <laughs> probably it's either a really great existence or a really terrible existence. I can't decide which, <laughs> um, but she smells this one thing and she passes out. Right. And she, she just like drops and you're like, what just happened to the kid? And she figures out that she's gone back into the past, but she keeps going back because mm-hmm. she wants to learn more and more and more. It's not that she's, She's not having fun. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like she's not going back into the past and the past is better for her. Like she can actually engage Mm -hmm. with the past. She occasionally is able to interact in a very, very specific way that I won't Mm -hmm. disclose. But that's the thing is every time she returns, it's her desire to understand. And that's, I I think that's something that she embodies so much from from scene to scene whether it's why her mom is uncomfortable with her aunt why any of this is happening um is her curiosity to know about the world because she's Mm going to need it to navigate what for her will probably be you know a very difficult path until she's a young adult Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah I, i like that you that you bring that up because she is drawn to it. She keeps going back, though she doesn't have to. And as you said, it's it's not that she particularly benefits from going back. It, I mean, she does, I think, in the big picture. But in terms of like immediately going back, it's not as if she can really interact. It's not as if she really has much control over what she sees and experiences when she does go back, but she does keep going. Um, Especially because she's not interacting. Like she's mm -hmm. not trying to change the past. She's Mm -hmm. not trying to do something in the past that will benefit her present. You know? So that's the thing is to keep going back. It's like, why do you, why, why would you keep going into the past just to see it Mm -hmm. as as a Mm -hmm. child, as an adult? Sure. There's all kinds of reasons to go into the past and look at things that you want to witness, look at things you want to understand, be present in certain moments. Yeah, sure. Cool. As a child, I, you know, it's, you really got to be a a certain kind of kid to Mm. want to do that and not engage. Yeah. She's very curious, which is something I loved about her character. Like even before we get to the whole, you know, time travel element, like when she's in the woods, like she has such a strong sense of smell. She's collecting all sorts of creepy crawlies and things that most people would turn up their nose at no pun intended or be absolutely grossed out by and have no interest in probably not even notice. And here she Mm -hmm. is like meticulously collecting her jars. Um, She finds so she again has this very rich inner world. Um, And I think what I felt um, throughout the film for most of the film, I felt that she was so alone. Um, yeah, and yeah, that like kind of hurt my heart a little bit, like seeing how alone she was, like even within her own family, her, her immediate family is, you know, obviously dealing with a history of trauma. They're dealing with their own kind of 
interpersonal stuff. And you kind of get the sense that this young, young girl sort of left up to her own devices physically, but also just emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't help but wonder, like, how does that impact her? And, and how does that shape her worldview? You know, one of the, the early scenes when she is being um, very, like, aggressively harassed and bullied by these racist little kids. Yeah. Um, and it's quite, a, it's quite an upsetting scene. Like, they're, like, very aggressive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as they run, her mom gets in the car. She doesn't say a word. Not yeah. a whisper about it. And her mom's kind of like, oh, why'd you lock the door? You know, no idea about yeah. this entire life that that this that Vicky lives. And yeah, I just felt she was she was so alone. And mm-hmm. I think maybe the curi- like maybe that fostered some of the curiosity as well. You know, we know she's Could super be. attached to her mom, you know, she goes to her mom's workplace. She's always like mimicking her mom. She always wants to do stuff. And I kind of felt that the mom was trying to like temper that, like, yeah. don't be too clingy. Don't be too this or that to me. Um, like physically that scene when the husband comes home and the, and Vicky's like oh, grabbing her hair, like clinging to her. I can't, couldn't help but wonder if that, if there's like that element of sort of like emotional isolation feeds into that curiosity that keeps driving her to go back and explore this past. Well, and that, and that's interesting because next to Vicky, the, you know, the next most interesting person in this movie is Joanne is the mom mm-hmm. uh, played by um, Adele Exerchopoulos. Um mm-hmm. I, I apologize if I'm butchering that name. She is a really fascinating study mm-hmm. because you know she's got a nice little house she's got a handsome husband she's got a you know pretty daughter who's curious and bright and yet you get the feeling very early on that she too is very lonely and very mm-hmm. closed off and very isolated um mm-hmm. you know she enjoys going to her her lake out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and swimming to the point of danger. She has to like test the temperature of the lake and she knows in her head, I can swim for this long. After that, I got to get out or I'm going to die. And she Mm -hmm. actually speaks it aloud. She says, not only would you die in this way, but it's a very horrible way to die because your muscles and your organs basically just very rapidly shut down. It's a, it's Mm -hmm. a terrible way to die. Um, but I, I get as close to that as I can. And then I get the hell out. Mm -hmm. Um, that's an interesting character. That's a really, really fascinatingly drawn character um, that Adele portrays so very well from moment to moment, whether she's playing off of um, Vicky or Julia or, um, you know, occasionally when she's playing off of Jimmy and I was there for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, she was a fascinating character. Also speaking about watching her interactions with people, her interactions with her dad. Oh my yeah. gosh. That yeah, so interesting. The those conversations between them were loaded. There is a lot of oh, stuff yeah. there. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. She's someone that, again, on paper, seems like they have it all together. You know, they they got 
good things going for them. I mean, like, let's be clear here. She's not like hashtag blessed, but at the same time, like she's comfortable, you know, nice house, nice, nice family. She's, she's the, if you were to like go off the little check boxes, her job, you know, she has fun at her job. I'm sure she doesn't make a ton of money teaching swimming, but she's, she's a swimmer and she swims for a living. You know, that'd be great. Totally. She lives in like the Alps. Yeah. Beautiful town. Um, Yeah. They're, she yeah such an, a fascinating character um and i give a lot of credit um to, to both actresses uh behind uh, vicky and joanne i had seen uh, adele before in blue is the warmest color mm-hmm. um and of course like uh like her uh, adele and Lea Seydoux were just fantastic together but yeah. i hadn't really seen adele in anything else whereas Lea Seydoux are yeah, she she was the one who made the jump right mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and I, I you know i know adele has has worked since i just haven't seen much of mm-hmm. it um so i was excited actually to see her name attached to this film um and yeah i really g- give her credit where credit is due because this is a bit of a an interesting character a very quiet character and so much that we learn from her is told through her body language she's very like constricted almost like she doesn't want to be touched and yeah. and almost feels like it's almost like she jumps like 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 startles if someone like is too close to her in a way um we obviously learn that there's sort of like a a, a post-traumatic reason for that there's certainly a self-protective reason for that um and there's you know there's a grieving behind her that we ultimately we learn a bit more as the film goes on, but in the beginning we see that framed photo of her as like a beauty pageant queen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it kind of cuts to her, you know, just kind of looking very alone, sort of bored, sitting at home, watching TV. Like you get the sense that there's sort of a, a deep level of disappointment or, or guilt and it's yeah, very interesting character because she doesn't come across uh, as someone who who give who gives uh, a lot of animosity to the people around her. Like she's not mean or cruel or sharp or anything with her. She's daughter. not even she's not even bitter. Like that's the oh, thing. Like yeah. she's she's she feels yeah. a little she feels threadbare and she feels frayed and she feels kind mm-hmm. of burnt out. But she doesn't it. feel, um, you know remorseful for something that did not happen like that's that's the interesting thing about this movie that that you bring up is for everything that she you know didn't get like for when we go back into the past and we look at the cards that were laid on the table that she did not play Mm -hmm. um part by choice part by circumstance um we don't get the idea that she's now living with this regret it's just she's also not entirely present and that is its own kind of tragic yes you feel that there's something within her that just weighs her down Mm -hmm. um i like that term used threadbare yeah absolutely like burnt out or dry like you know it feels like and as we soon learn like she when we see her when she's younger she's so full of life so full of energy she's very like just 
excited and hopeful. Singing uh, the songs, wearing the earrings. Yeah. And you know, yeah, like it's got a bit of like, you know, fire to her when the coach is like, <laughs> oh, take off your your earrings. And she's like, oh, they suit me. Like, I like yeah. them. You know, she's got like a bit of like, uh, like a spirit to her. Yeah. And we yeah. feel like that spirit has been dimmed yeah. at this point where we meet her. And then we get the wrinkle of Julia. One of the things I first love about this movie is when she is introduced, she is painted as a disruption, but mm. we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Jimmy is the one to say to Joanne, my sister's coming. Joanne, you know, lashes out, uh, has this kind of passive aggressive you know, slamming of doors and, and going at Jimmy. And then when she drives up, Jimmy's the one to wave. And we have no clue why. And that's the thing mm-hmm. is, I love the... Mystery is kind of a grandiose term, but I love the uncertainty mm-hmm. as to, here is this disruption. We are not going to tell you why it's a disruption, but you are going to feel that it is going to offset the balance of this life. And I, I love... One, I love the way she's introduced... Two, I love the way that her truth slowly mm-hmm. becomes known to both Vicky and us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good way. I, I love how you frame that. Like she's introduced as a disruption, but we don't really understand at that point. We're not. We don't really have enough information. No, like I mean, why? why? Yeah, like is she? Is she the? Is she the? Yeah, she the emotionally abusive sister. Is she the friend who you can't stand? <laughs> at, at first, she's just a name. So it's like, mm-hmm. is she the ex girlfriend? Mm-hmm. You know, the, that's that's the thing. Is like to just drop this bomb into the mm-hmm. middle of this family and not give us the audience the information mm-hmm. is, is a is a bold move. It is a bold move. It is a really bold move. And when we first meet her as well. She, I think, has like a black eye, right? Yeah, like her yeah, eyes swollen. Totally does. Yep. Yeah, she, yeah. Um, Vicky, even makes a comment like, "Oh, she smells like whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, peaty whiskey." Mm-hmm. Um, so there's obviously some implications that does this person, you know, struggle with alcohol dependency? Does this person hang around with a rough crowd? Like, is this person not really stable? Like, there's a lot of questions and how she's introduced in this very uh, abrupt way what an interesting character and it's it's interesting because when she first comes into the house yeah there's so much tension we don't really know why um and then we learn that even amongst the two siblings like you said uh, jimmy's the one that kind of ex- you know extends the the welcome um and even with him like there's a bit of like a careful sort of distance between them like that that sort of awkwardness when you haven't seen someone in a long time that you used to be very close to. Um, there's, there's a bit of awkwardness there. Um, even though he was the one that was extending the welcome. So yeah, she's such an interesting figure that sort of like dropped into this family. Um, and then something that I thought was, um, was really interesting. And of course, like I, we won't get into why right now, but um we start initially, um, Joanne is, as we know, super resistant to her coming, super, like, you can almost feel like she's very agitated about her she coming. She is, yeah, yeah. She says to Jimmy, like, I, I don't want her here. Like, yeah. I, why did you tell her to come? I don't want her to come. So we kind of assume that them two together, it's going to sort of devolve. It's going to descend into a very dark place. But then we sort of see them... It's the opposite. Each other. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is, I think, what I thought was a very interesting direction to take. There is a bit of awkwardness at uh, first, but then we start to see them lift each other up or sort of heal each other a little bit. Um, obviously, we start to learn a bit more about the past um, and the, the, the reason for that. But yeah, I thought that was such an interesting direction to take. I love as well the way this film approaches the notion that our parents were somebody else before mm-hmm. we showed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's nothing new. Like it, it's that that's back to the future, but um, not in this way. The, the idea that Vicky goes back in time and Jimmy is not even a subplot in the story that she is mm-hmm. not face to face with her father and her mother mm-hmm. as young younger versions of themselves that she's face to face with her mother and her aunt as face as younger versions of themselves. It's, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that a lot of us don't think about, you know, certainly when we're kids, I think even as we get older, we never really consider who our parents were before we show up. Um, Cause you know, our being born changes them so drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it possible that when we saw them as younger versions, we wouldn't like them, that it would scare mm-hmm. us. Vicky constantly going back to it, it's a curiosity, but I feel like it's a morbid curiosity. Mm. You know, that, she, that, that the, the longer she goes with the story, the more complicated the story gets. You know, she is unsure of what she is seeing and who her mother was. So the point that like when her when her aunt is eventually leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, late late in the story, like she's happy. She's happy mm-hmm. to see her go because she's she's clear that in the present her aunt is a disruption, mm-hmm. and she's learning more and more that when her parents were young, her aunt was a disruption mm-hmm. to her very existence. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's hard to talk about it without feeling like I'm giving too much away. I think at noise. this point in the conversation, we can go like really and truly. If you haven't tapped out now and you want to stay in the dark, please just skip ahead to the other side and we'll we'll leave this be. But we there are things about this story that we have to talk about because they are key to the ultimate success. I think we're both mm-hmm. calling this movie a success, the success okay. of this story. So go for it. Jolie Featherstone. Rip off the label. Let's go. I have free reign to spoil. Yes. Um, the, the, the parent-child relationship between Vicky and Joanne is is fascinating. And I think that's kind of what is um, like an emotional linchpin of this film. Um, and we start off with seeing Vicky almost vying for her mom's attention. And again, the mom's not mean to her or anything. It's just she seems like, like you said, kind of like, checked out like kind of she's not present and then when Vicky has the chance it has this as you mentioned initially not planned like this was completely almost an accident that happens um and starts to see snippets of of her mom and who her mom was as a young person like there's certainly like you said a curiosity maybe a morbid curiosity maybe it is coming from a dark place um or maybe it is like very much uh, like driven, I think, by her cura- curiosity and also driven by her innate desire to want to connect with her mom and be close to her mom, especially in the present day where we know her mom, you know, obviously loves her, but is a little bit emotionally checked out. Um, so I think 
for her daughter to see go in the past and see her mom so full of life and just really like glowing with spirit and energy um it's very interesting to her and i almost feel she kind of gets addicted to that like to seeing mm -hmm. her mom like that and mm -hmm wants to go back and kind of keep having that experience. But let us be clear here. Why is Vicky wary mm -hmm. of Julia and Joanne spending time together? Okay. So we learn that as young people, um, Joanne and Julia were deeply attracted to each other. They um, were sort of in the beginning stages of what seemingly was like a very meaningful, loving relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see them kind of dating, um, they start off as friends. We see them kind of start dating. <clears throat> they experience animosity seemingly due to being a, a queer relationship and be an interracial relationship in this very kind of like small town that they're mm -hmm. in that is predominantly white, predominantly, you know, heteronormative from what we can see of, of the other families uh, and other people around. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, uh, Vicky's dad is, is in the picture. He is a friend. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we get the sense that, um, Joanne does like him as a friend, but she and Julia are truly like the lovers in, yeah. of the story. That, um, I think is one of the things that really plays in this movie is to watch the contrast mm -hmm. between Joanne with Jimmy, Joanne with Julia, because yeah. the thing is with Joanne and Julia, there is a certain amount of heat. There mm -hmm. is a deep deep attraction like mm -hmm. this film is relatively chaste mm -hmm. for certainly for it being a french film you know this, this film this, this film this film is relatively i mean there there is some sex and some nudity ironically not between these people but it's it's relatively surface mm -hmm. and yet at the same time it's also just very very uh passionate very mm -hmm. sexy when yeah. it comes to these two people both as uh, younger versions of themselves certainly and then as adults when they start to shed some of this armor and bury a few mm -hmm. hatchets to the point where everybody around them is like we can see what is happening you are mm -hmm. not being as subtle as you think you are being thank you for the show um you know like they're still not you know they don't have any like tongues down each other's throats or anything like that but there is a very very clear this is not just two drunk woo girls having mm -hmm. fun. These are people who are into each other. Mm -hmm. um, that depiction to get these actors there to show it mm -hmm. this way without, again, without bringing up the sexy, without getting them mm -hmm. to shed a lot of clothes and touch each other here, there and everywhere is mm -hmm. some really, really great direction and great acting on the part of all involved. I was going to say absolutely like the chemistry during oh, yeah. the karaoke scene. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that karaoke scene because yeah, there's just so much happening there. There's so much happening both from like the, the both from the viewpoint of, of them as a couple, but also as individuals, like you said, shedding that armor and kind of obvious. Well, yes, obviously we know that Joanne is kind of drunk at the time, Oh yeah, but you can see this almost like a relief, like a weight has been, removed from my shoulders and I can just be with you and mm -hmm. have fun, let my hair down. And we're belting out a song that we loved when we were younger. There's so much. I, I, yeah, it's like you said, it's not like super graphic or blatantly sexual, but it's so passionate and it is so sexy to see two people who just so desperately are happy to 
be in each other's presence again. Um, I will admit there is one flaw in this movie that I thought back on, and that is the role of Nadine, the mm. the, the friend. Um, she's she's another friend who was a friend of Julia and Joanne from way back. She works with Joanne now. Um, I didn't entirely understand her whole role mm. in this. Like, I mean, she is obviously like she plays a part in uh, Julia's ultimate fate mm-hmm. as a young girl. Like, you know, when when we watch Julia's arc as a teenager, it all leads up to one moment of of tragedy mm-hmm. um, that I won't get into, um, you know, deeply. Um, and that moment of just that that moment of truth um directly affects nadine mm-hmm. um nadine as a as an adult though doesn't feel fully explored she's uh jealous mm-hmm. that joanne got jimmy for reasons that are never fully fleshed out that's the, that's the thing is that for everything that this movie does so very well. And I mean, again, it's it's economic, 95 minutes. You could have taken five more minutes. Um, it never seems to fully embrace why Nadine is there and why Nadine feels the way she does. That That is something that we don't get to see, like the sort of the aftermath of the tragedy, like what steps happened after that that led to the, the present where... Um, we know what it is now in the present. We don't necessarily know the details of how it got there particularly. Um, but yeah, you raise a good point about Nadine not being completely fleshed out as a character. When I was watching it, the kind of re- reaction that I had to Nadine was almost that she was like a, a personification of the vibes of the community. Like she- sure. For example, in what I think it's the first time traveling uh, episode, Julia has like a very uh, like abrupt reaction to seeing something that nobody else can see. Yeah. And Nadine's kind of like, oh, like I think she calls her like psycho or crazy right. or something right. like that. Like she's very like kind of like, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Joanne is doesn't have this immediate like judgmental reaction. Um, she sort of sees Jimmy go and, and, and comfort um, Julia. And then we then see Joanne as, as her and Julia become closer. She tries to be like a comforting and supportive presence to Julia as well. Yeah. Whereas Nadine to me always felt like a bit more closed minded. Like she had that kind of judgmental reaction. She kind of gave me the vibes of the other people in town who were like kind of racist and uh, kind of close-minded yeah. to like a lesbian relationship like yeah there's so much they cut there's so much that they kind of allude to the town not being accepting and of course yes we we know that the town is um so the, it's 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 a tough spot for the town it's a it's a it was a, a significant episode of trauma that they've been through so they're mm-hmm. weary of julia because some people don't necessarily you know, trust her or sure. never really accepted as we, we kind of hear that there was, you know, a court case. She was, you know, seen as, as innocent. She wasn't like trying to intentionally as a criminal, like harm people, but there's, there's, you know, there's those type of people that are like, Oh, 
that's not an excuse. Like mental health is not an excuse. You did this and you know, you're a criminal. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. The only mm-hmm. thing that threw me mm-hmm. when I was watching this, um, you know, there, there may be lines that I just, that didn't soak in. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there may be a one or two line thing that was said mm-hmm. about this. Nadine flies off the handle two times in very differing ways. One that I won't talk about in the final act of the movie, but another one where she goes into Joanne's work area at the pool and just has a fit, like throws her desk apart, breaks trophies, breaks pictures, just trashes it because Mm -hmm. she's like, you cost me my chance with Jimmy. And it's like something happened that sent her there. Mm -hmm. And it's not just her queerness coming through again. Like there was a line cut or there was a scene cut that I feel like we needed to really get Nadine from just unhappy to Mm -hmm. full blown destruction, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. Um, The other thing I, the other thing I now, you know, kind of coming back to one of the positives of this movie is the two things that we see over and over in this movie, the, the symbols that I love is, fire and water you know mm-hmm. we've, we've got the, the the fire that the girls see happen we've got fireplaces um vicky has her little fires going under her cauldrons when she's making her her little aroma cocktails um you know the water in the lake the water in the pool i love that this film hangs its hat mm-hmm. on these two elements that can both bring and take life it, it is a very elemental film like it, it is very earthy yeah, um, Vicky herself, like all of her, like the the sense of smell in general is a very um, primal sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually studies, like scientific studies, that have shown that of all the senses, the one scent that evokes the strongest memory um, is the, the sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the only scent, and I'm I'm going to put this in a very um, very much a paraphrased way. I don't remember my textbook from, from <laughs> university verbatim. Um, but of all the other senses, there's there's a myriad of filters that the inbound uh, sense has to go through before it reaches your brain. Right. With the nose, it's like it's almost like a direct shot right huh. <laughs> to your brain. So the the emotional and sort of memory um, reaction to sense is the strongest one. Um, so, so in that, I mean, what's yeah. interesting about that that you bring up is what would really affect the the things that you're smelling more than distilling it into into water mm-hmm. or using fire to heat it up. It just puts it in such a good way, like how elemental this film is. It's so earthy and it's 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 kind of primal in many ways. Um, but yeah, like the the symbolism of those two elements is just so beautiful visually but also in kind of hitting those themes of these are two people that by, you know, by the opinion of the community or the opinion of their friends, maybe, um, you know, should not be together and yet should not work together. And yet, and yet, and yet <laughs> you know, and yet they deeply, deeply are drawn to each other. They're like compelled 
yeah. to be together. So yeah. like you're saying, they give each other life mm-hmm. at the same time. They seem to destroy it mm-hmm. or either, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a certain way for each other, but mm-hmm. certainly for everybody around them. Yes. Like, yeah. like too much fire and too much water. Um, Diane, you just gave me a whole other thought. <laughs> this is a fantastic movie. Um, as I said, like including, the flaw, my my perceived flaw with Nadine. It's a wonderful movie that I hope people see. Mm-hmm. It's a deeply empathetic story mm-hmm. to, you know, the choices that people make and the very real possibility that sometimes they may want to make another choice. That that's what I love about this movie. It's not necessarily about changing the past. It's using the past to inform your present and inform your future. Mm-hmm. And and it's beautiful in every respect. Um, we uh, end every uh, review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Jolie Featherstone, uh, The Five Devils, what would be your souvenir? So this might be a little hard to explain, but basically the setting, like the lake and the mountain. The oh, lake yeah. that swims in with the mountain backdrop. Yeah. yeah. I, I would take that. I, I want to go there. Way. Yeah. I, 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 yes, <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if I could live there, but I certainly want to spend a week. Exactly. Uh, it I'll just, take- it was so, there was something so beautiful and so sublime about it. I think at one point, this was just a very quick thing that I saw, but on the wall at uh, Joanne's workplace, it was like a sign. It was almost like a resort or like community, like mm-hmm. activity center. And it said the five devils and it was the five mountains. Yeah. I guess I will take... The, hmm. the titular character. titular five devils yeah I, that's not bad um mine is much more frivolous i just think it looks neat uh, at one point when they are singing the karaoke um vicky is sitting there looking all cute in her overalls and she's wearing these kaleidoscope glasses yes. they look so cool you know I, I think that no matter no matter what you were doing or what's in what setting you were in if you were wearing kaleidoscope glasses along with the fact that everything you look through is going to look pretty baller Mm-hmm. you wearing these things is going to start conversations. So I really do want those kaleidoscope glasses. I, that is a great souvenir. I love those as well. I will, that is a I will great steal souvenir. them off that little girl. Um, <laughs> we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one, four stars, Jolie Featherstone, the five devils. What do you got? I'm going to say 3.5. Uh, same, same. As I said, the I'm, I'm held back by the Nadine thread. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm being hard on it because everything out everything else about this movie is bloody perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that for, for everything else being so good, um, this is the one thing I'm like, I want to get more of this one chapter of the story because I feel like you have more to tell me mm-hmm. and that's, and, and that's, that's where I want it. So three, like, I mean, just like such a positive three and a half, like yeah. this is one of the, one of the, uh, a stunning film mm-hmm. visually emotionally not perfect but fan bloody tastic um i am so so excited to learn about um leah macias i'm going to be watching out for all of her films going forward um hopefully people get a chance to catch up with it it was presented by mubi m-u-b-i which is a streaming platform um that i think obviously it'll probably make the jump to that platform pretty quickly and check out the five devils um and let us know what you think ryan at the matinee.ca uh twitter i am matinee underscore ca facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of the five devils we are going to take a very short break and come back with the other side right after this 
We are back. It's Matt Nakast 303. She's Jolie Featherstone. I'm Ryan McNeil. We have been talking about The Five Devils, a small French film that you may not have heard about, but now you have. And hopefully you see it and hopefully you love it. If you don't, well, we'll still love you anyway. Um, <laughs> it's the other side. It's the time of the show that we talk about further viewing, other viewing, complimentary films. Um, there's a lot to pull from when it comes to The Five Devils. Uh, Jolie, how many movies did you come up with to go along with uh, The Five Devils, first of all? I actually really, for once in my life, or at least once of probably the first time in any of our conversations where I literally narrowed it down to one. one. Film. I'm okay. Always like, I'm always like, when this right. one? well, so, in that case, I think I will begin because uh, yes, I have okay. two. Um, and it was interesting to me that earlier on you talked about how you hadn't really kept up with the career of Adele mm-hmm. uh, post blue is the warmest color because as I was logging this film and looking up, what else have I seen Adele in besides Blue is the Warmest Color? I came across a film that I saw at TIFF in either 2018 or 2019. I want to say it was 2019. Um, that is, I walked out of that film and I looked at a mutual friend of ours and I said, well, that was very French. Um, <laughs> and it is it is complimentary to this film in a lot of ways. In, in First of all, that it is very, very handsome. Mm. Um, in the way that this film is very intimate and small, this film is very big, very mm. grand, very epic. And it's a film um, by a director named uh, Justine Trier. It's a film called Sybil. Have you ever seen this? I have not. Okay. No, so Sybil is played by uh, Virginie Efira. She's um, a therapist who decides the therapy isn't really working for her. So she wants to get back into writing and she specifically gets fixated on her newest patient um, that's played by Adele. And Adele happens to be an actor and she's struggling with a lot of different things, including her relationship with one of her co-stars. She is due on set in this unbelievable locale. You thought that the town in The Five Devils looks incredible. This film takes place in the shadow of a volcano. You know, it's it's a combination of like a James Bond film matched with a Jane Campion film, and it is just stunning top to bottom. And things get very melodramatic very quickly. I, I will say that one of my favorite moments in this in this film um, is the the director that Margot is uh, is is working with is played by Sandra Uller, who most people would have seen in Tony Erdman. So she plays the director of this film that Margot is on. And the thing is, first of all, Margot is act is beginning to act very unprofessional. Sybil is just eating it all up and making things even worse. And at one point, um, like things just reach a breaking point on set. And she looks a character in the eye. I'm reasonably sure it's Margot. I'm reasonably sure that she looks into Adele's eye. If she doesn't, she looks at Sybil. It's one of the two. It's been a few years, so I'm a little foggy. I do apologize, people. Um, and she basically looks and she goes, I don't have the luxury of freaking out. We are behind schedule. We are over budget. You know, if I was a man directing this film, I could yell at everybody, get them to do what I want, and we would get shit done. I don't have that luxury because I 
am a woman. So I'm just had enough of this and I'm leaving. Here's the thing. What I love about it is that scene in that moment is filming on a boat. So when she decides to leave, she literally jumps ship on her own movie. And it is spectacular. The film is, the film is flawed. The film is not perfect by any way. It is so melodramatic. But I loved so much of it that watching this and remembering that Adele was also in Sybil made me want to go back and watch Sybil so much. Uh, you, I mean, you've sold me. It's, it's on Hoopla. If anybody, you know, like, a, a lot of a lot of libraries offer Hoopla for free. So if you have if you have access to Hoopla, go in, look for Sybil S I B Y L, and if nothing else, just watch it for how eye poppingly gorgeous it is. Everybody's French, so everybody's beautiful, um, and and you get a little, another dose of Adele. And sorry, what what is the genre of that? Like, is it just like? like melodrama um it's the kind of thing where you have a therapist and a patient and the lines of their relationship and their working relationship and what is ethical really start to devolve and what can happen Mm. you know so it's a real exploration of why we have boundaries (laughs) i'm sold yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's yeah it is like it's not great but you're gonna have fun i promise (laughs) Hey, that yeah. I'm 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 here for it. <laughs> All right, uh, what's your one? Um, so my film that re- I don't know, it just really stood out to me um, is Border um, from 2018, directed by Ali Abbasi. Really, what I think drew me to this film in particular was the sense of atmosphere and the. The, again, like the elemental nature of the film. Like I I remember watching Border and feeling this, how it engaged the senses, like uh, similar with Vicky in the forest. Like you could almost feel the dampness of the It's forest. primal, I think you, is the word you're looking for. It's very primal, very tactile. Like there, it really, I felt like engaged the senses um, in a way. They both kind of walk this border of being supernatural. Um, like based in very like let's see like for example um the character in border being like a security guard living sort of like a humdrum life her partner is absolutely horrible to her um she has a very you know sweet natured father who says you know like this guy's you know he doesn't value he doesn't treat you great um but you know someone who just kind of feels stuck a lot like joanne i think feels or like or emotionally kind of checked out, you know, um, similar to Joanne. We sort of walk through the looking glass into this somewhat supernatural element where she discovers something about herself, something about her past. um, And from there, her entire life changes, her entire perspective changes, her sense of self is completely rewritten. and yeah, like I think it was ultimately the the elemental and primal nature of the film. Um, both films at times I felt like I could just feel the air around me. I could smell the moss on the ground. Um, and I loved that. And then when I started to really think about it, I was like, oh, the, I think what did draw me was like this sense of identity and like reclaiming yourself and like reclaiming your life kind of as how... Vicky gives Joanne permission to sort of reclaim this passion of her life and reclaim this, this love. Um, 
the the um, man that the main character in Border happens upon, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> he also has his his downfalls, but if he does one thing right is that he kind of gives her permission to take back control of her life and, and to stand in her own identity. The sensory aspect of these films, they're just so lush, um, visually really, really compelling. What I will always remember about Border, first of all, amazing choice. That movie is just top drawer. But what I will always remember about Border is that Lindsay saw that at TIFF and I did mm. not. And when she came away from it and, and I was getting ready to see it and whatnot, the one thing she said that I will always repeat is, you have never seen a film like this. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a singular film in so many ways that I don't want to reveal. I just mm-hmm. want you to sit down, start watching it and let it unfold. And I promise you, you will remember this movie mm-hmm. so very clearly. You know, it's funny because off air, we were struggling to remember the title. Mm-hmm. But we both remembered what it was about. We both remembered all of the little thing, like, intricacies. Can... It's mostly because it's got such a humdrum title. You know, it's not called The Five Devils or it's yeah. not called <laughs> Blue is the Warmest <laughs> Color. You know, it's Border. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, um, come on. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost and, like and, and, a better title. Yeah. Or Sybil. Um, Lindsay was right. You know, this is a very, very singular film. And yeah, it would make a great double feature with uh, with The Five Devils. That's for sure. Good call. Well, my other film um, to go along with um, The Five Devils is I thought about another French movie, another Mm -hmm. movie involving pools, another movie involving an Adele, but not this Adele. I thought about a film um, that stars Adele uh, Hanel from... Mm -hmm. um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. I went back to the first feature by Celine Sciamma, uh, Water Lilies. Have you ever seen this movie? I have not. If Celine Sciamma's films are the Beatles, it's kind of become the Ringo. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody remembers Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Everybody remembers uh, Girlhood. Everybody remembers Petit Mama. Not a lot of people have seen Water Lilies. And mm-hmm. It's, it really is, I mean, it's the least showy of all the mm. films that she's done. It's, you know, the, the other ones have a lot of visual poetry and panache, which is not to say that Water Lilies is, um, you know, rustic or rudimentary or anything like that, because it's still handsome. Um, but it's just, it's more, it's, it's a little bit more grounded. It's a little bit more economic in, in its filmmaking. And what it, and what I like about it is that it is another story of um, these French teenage girls who happen to be uh, swimmers in this case. Mm-hmm. And they're synchronized swimming, not sprints. Um, and there is this um, muddying, of their relationship between friendship and uh, romantic and sexual attraction that you're watching. Um, And it's all really fascinating to see how it plays out and how these girls navigate it with each other, how they navigate Mm -hmm. it with themselves. Um, You know, I've, I've always said that where it comes to friendships and relationships that 
Um, women have it so much better over guys because you're just like so much more highly evolved. Is it just friendship? Is it friendship of an intimate nature? Is it friendship that's spilling over into romantic? What have you? And this film captures that so beautifully, like not only in the ways that it goes right, you know, when that is the case, when we see it in The Five Devils between um, Julia and Joanne, but also when it goes wrong. Also when that is the feeling from one person, but not reciprocated. Um, and it's done all in that very wonderful Celine Sciamma kind of way. I know of it, but purely just because of Celine Sciamma's IMDb page. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, it's that one you skirt past, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I've, I've heard people talk about it, but I tend to, sometimes I won't read reviews until like I've seen the film or like not mm. reviews, but like anyone that's written Reactions. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I get and then wait until I've seen it. But unfortunately, I haven't gotten around to seeing it. Okay. So I might just have to bump it up my list after. That one, if people are looking for it, that one's on the Criterion channel. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, which right now they've they, they've always got one or two Slain Scamma movies knocking around on the Criterion channel. As I said, it's kind of the forgotten feature in her mm-hmm. canon. Girlhood gets bigger. A girlhood even plays on similar themes. And then Portrait of a Lady on Fire is just as epic as it gets mm-hmm. before she dials it all back down and gets much more intimate with Petit Mama, which Petit Mama has so much in common mm-hmm. with um, The Five Devils that it was, it was almost too obvious of a choice. <laughs> but I was like, no, no, no. I want to go back to Water Lilies because watching these girls, because they're all you know teenagers, mm-hmm. watching these girls interact – and how they, you know, what is said in a look and what is said in a touch and what is said in the way words are spoken um, is captured so well in these two movies that I think they've made a really good set. Just bump it up on my list now. I'd be interested to talk to you about it after. I mean, I'm interested to talk to you about it after you see everything. So, oh, um, yeah, that's, yeah, there we go. But it sounds like these two in particular, I, I definitely want to watch them and then discuss them afterwards for sure. Sold. There we go. That is episode 303 of the Matinee cast. Uh, we talked about a bunch of films that you've probably never seen, but I think we both can agree. We really want you to track them down. Uh, come on back on April 24th for episode 304 in a very hard swing. We're going to be discussing Renfield, the new vampire film with Nicolas Cage and Nick Holt. Jolie, as we mentioned off the top, is on Wiley Wright's and uh, Toronto Film Files. Yeah, and I'll I uh, try to share everything that I write on Twitter, which is at TO Film Files. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. You can also find them, uh, first of all, you can find them pretty much everywhere. This week I actually went looking for other platforms that I'm not on, and it turns out that I am on them too, but namely, you can find me on Apple, Google, iTunes, um, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, you name it, I'm there. And everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If you listen to a pod platform of choice and I don't happen to be there, let me know. I'll put my show there. It's real simple. Feedback on Five Devils can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I'm still there, Sarda, at the matinee under, at matinee underscore CA, and there's always Facebook. Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Julie Featherstone, any final thoughts? See this movie if you can. It is yes. beautiful. If anyone out there uh, wants a, a movie that is, um, I'm going to reference the quote that's on the poster, but witchy, time travel, coming of age, 
all things that I like in a film, go see this one. Definitely. And then come back because the next time Jolie's here, we'll be talking about some great big blockbuster that all of y'all have seen. And you can really, you know, take part in the conversation. Ryan, we should have talked about Ambulance. Oh, God. <laughs> we, were, we were doing so well. I had to. I'm sorry. I had to. <laughs> For Jolie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.